Fake sire is this? This Hades costume is the stinkiest costume on this planet. <laughs> Babies are often very useless when you need to get things done. Take a puff. Do you fear? Big Bong is a sus individual. Don't wanna grow up. I wanna get out. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's Gang at patreon.com slash mouse madness kyle uh we last time around we did our our little disney legends bracket yeah and and i i feel like the audience for such a bracket is very small but (laughs) i hope that everyone listened to it because it provides so much context for whenever we start going on rants about right. the backstories of Disney and Disney history and all this stuff. Uh, so it was a really fun one for me to like dig into some of the nitty gritty of all of this stuff that is kind of like rooted in our Disney fandom. Oh yeah, absolutely. I always have fun diving into the the historical background of the company, of the parks, and that's a lot of what we did last bracket. So I know that one is info heavy, but if you're into history, if you're into the history of the company, the parks, go ahead and give that a listen. But we're gonna we're gonna swerve a little bit here and get into something a little bit more light, a little bit nostalgia based. In fact, we are going to be talking the best Disney on screen musical act. And what does that mean? Well, if you're watching a movie, if you're watching a Disney show, and there happens to be a band performing, if the show is about a band, if the if the movie features the coming together of a band. That's what we're talking about. Those are these fictional music acts that are just on screen in Disney movies. And we're going to focus on them. And we have 16 great ones, despite there being so, so many. And to help us navigate these on-screen musical acts is a favorite of the Mouse Madness podcast guest host has come back for another musical bracket is our buddy, Raymond. Raymond, welcome back. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me again. Super nice to be back. I'm excited. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited, too, especially because last time we had so much fun making fun of all of the the pop stars that were doing the the pop covers. Uh, What excites you about these kind of fictional musical acts? Um, I would say that they dominated my iPod. Like I Ah. did not have a lot of music that was playing on the radio back then. I was just buying all the Disney acts like I could. (laughs) Uh, Cheetah Girls. Me and, me and you, Kyle, we have some history with Cheetah Girls. Some very- uh, we'll bring it up. We'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, always a favorite. I'm excited to talk about all these people because I feel like they had a hand in raising me also. Yeah, I think, and I, I agree with that. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to agree with that. We, this, this bracket hits just the right demographic for who listens to this podcast, I think. I'm really excited. Um, but Chris, let's go ahead. Let's get into this. Uh, we can't be talking about these acts without having a little spoonful of sugar in our hands. So what you got drinking over there? Well, uh, not to kind of tip our field of 16 entrance, but there is a, uh, a little decom appearance. Well, there's a couple of decom. There's several yeah. decom appearances, <laughs> but, uh, one of those is from Xenon. Yeah. Which is something we have talked about once and never again. Uh, <laughs> and 
the band in Xenon Microbe sings a song called Supernova Girl. Yep. So I had to reach for my Almanac Plum Sour Nova for oh, this episode. So I'm out here changing the lyrics to Will You Be My Sour Nova Girl? Or My okay. Sour Nova Boy, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. I'm a sour Nova boy myself, so <laughs> of course. Um, it's just so appropriate. You know, it sends me into outer space with every sip. It makes my heart go boom, boom, boom. Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. Kyle, <laughs> what do you got? Uh, also, not to tip the hand at what this bracket, uh, some of the participants on this bracket, but I have a drink here that is inspired by Camp Rock's uh, Connect Three, a band mm. from those films. Uh, and it's called Connect Three because I went home bartending and I went ahead and mixed a cocktail similar to a Long Island that's got some big three <laughs> liquors in it. So I've got a drink that consists of uh, a shot, not a shot, less than a shot, like an <laughs> ounce of uh, white rum, an ounce of vodka, an ounce of tequila, an ounce of lime juice, about a quarter of an ounce of simple syrup. And then I poured it into a glass that had a sparkling grapefruit juice. And so I'm going to go ahead and give it a sit. It's been sitting here. So I got a swizzle stick that I stirred it up with because I'm afraid. <laughs> that is tasty. Ooh. That, that, that is tasty. I will be stumbling over my words <laughs> once we get to that final matchup. But that is refreshing. It is delicious. And I will... I'll, I'll put it in the Discord. I haven't done that in a long time. I'll put the recipe in the Discord. You can all try it for yourself. It's very, very good. Raymond, what do you have over there? Uh, so today I went to H Mart, which is down the street from me, and oh. I was looking through their cold beverages to see what they got. So they always have something new for me to try that I've never even heard of. Yeah. Today I have something called a Chew High Lemon. It's I saw three <laughs> things on here that drew me here, okay? okay? Number one, sangria at the top. So I knew yes. it was fruity. <laughs> Yeah. Number two, it said six percent alcohol in this little tiny can. Oh. And it was like three dollars. Oh. And then oh. I'm I'm like a buzzball person, so this is, <laughs> this is gonna be nice. Like, I'm not picky, obviously. I was hoping that you're gonna roll up with like a Disneyland uh, popcorn bucket sized buzzball, <laughs> and you're just like, I'm gonna be sipping on this for the entire the big entire bracket. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that would not go well. It would not go well <laughs> for anyone involved. And especially the audience. <laughs> ah. All right. So we have a 16 on screen Disney musical acts we want to talk about. To get our field of 16, though, we needed to ask a certain demographic. We had to ask a certain demographic of people what is the best Disney on screen musical act? Even though I was just in Florida, I went ahead and sent the interns back <laughs> to Walt <laughs> Disney back World, back to the Magic Kingdom, back to that oppressive August Florida heat. <laughs> Had them head over to Frontierland, wait in the exit area of the Country Bear Jamboree attraction, and ask people with looks of shock, horror, and or confusion on their faces after exiting the Country Bear Jamboree. And we got... We got 16 acts in here and, uh, and we've, and we've got, uh, it, it's like surprisingly stacked. Yes. Oh, for sure. Uh, so for sure. not, uh, not everything could make it. We've got a number of miss the dance musical acts. Kyle, what are, what are a couple for you? So the, the only one that really comes to mind because you're right, this is pretty stacked. So I feel like in my 
on screen. And I also will say that most of like all of these are like fictional. Like it, this isn't like, you know, Miley Cyrus performing on the Disney Channel Games musical act. Like she's a real person that is a real act in the world. Like that's we're talking about like the fictional on screen acts. And so for me, the one that came to mind is uh, Corey and the Boys from That's So Raven. Uh, they really only had one song. And the one song only had seven lines of lyrics. Like it's, it was not that much. Um, but this was a group of of boys, Corey with his friends, and they used to practice in the living room. They'd perform at the Chill Grill, of course, because that's where all the the homies hung out. That's where Raven's dad worked. And this is just like ingrained in my Disney Channel watching brain, like from from the era of. Disney Channel original series with the Even Stevens and and the That's So Ravens. This really stuck out to me. Uh, Chris, what about for you? So anytime <laughs> that I can have the opportunity to drop a little Alan Adale, oh, drop yeah, a little I mean, Roger Miller into a Miss the Dance, I have to go for it. Um, lo- love Alan Adale's vibe. Love his, his tunes that are actual songs within the Robin Hood universe, such as uh, not in Nottingham yeah. uh, and whatever the, the, the phony King of England song that everyone was yep. vibing to Vibin. uh, ca- a countercultural smash hit by Alan Adale. I <laughs> uh, love that guy. Also in the princess diaries, uh, we got <laughs> we got to shout out Michael Moskowitz and Flypaper, his yep. garage band where he's out here on the keyboards with M&Ms on the ivories <laughs> as he's, uh, He's winning Princess Maria's heart uh, as she's getting her Mustang repaired. Definitely not a lot of them in the movie, so I don't even think we really get like a full song from them, but for some reason, that was like one of the first ones that popped into my head. Sure. Uh, Raymond, how about you? Any bands here that didn't make our field of 16 that maybe you wish did? Um, You know, I'm pretty satisfied with the list, but I will say some of these bands that I'm seeing, like they did have, very important uh, antagonist bands that they were fighting against in their oh, club, you know? true. So maybe we could have like an enemies, you know, a little role in there too. I know that sure. the kids in Camp Rock were fighting for their damn lives. But <laughs> yeah. numbers in a row, like it was rough up there. It's the truth. Oh uh, yeah, we do. We we have a pretty stacked bracket of sixteen here. So Chris, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's announce Ooh. these sixteen fictional fictional musical acts. Uh, Let's cue that dramatic music. Chris, go ahead and take us away. You get the best of both worlds with the number one seed. It's Hannah Montana. Living their best cat life at the number two seed is Scat Cat and the Alley Cats. Standing out at the number three seed is Powerline from a Goofy movie. Getting crushed by bells at the number four seed is Ernesto de la Cruz from Coco. Getting back together and coming in at the number five spot is the Country Bears from the Country Bears. Saving Toronto one song at a time at the number six seed is Four Town from Turning Red. Sweating it out at the number seven seed. (laughs) From Soul is the Dorothea Williams Quartet. Hooking up with bandmates at the number eight seed is the Pearly Band from Mary Poppins. 
going worldwide at the number nine seed is the Cheetah Girls. Kicking it in South America at the number 10 seed is the Three Caballeros from the Three Caballeros. Trying everything at the number 11 seed is Gazelle. Spitting out drinks at the number 12 seed is Lemonade Mouth from Lemonade Mouth. Trading places at the number 13 seed is Pink Slip from Freaky Friday. Allow them to reintroduce themselves at the number 14 seed is Daughters of Triton from The Little Mermaid. Making hearts go boom, boom, boom at the number 15 seed is Microbe from Xenon. And rounding out our bracket of 16 is definitely not the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> it's Connect 3 from Camp Rock. All right, Raymond, we have 16 pretty stacked uh, participants in this bracket. Are there any matchups here that you're looking forward to breaking down in this first round? Yeah, I'm ready to fight for Lemonade Mouth rights, um, oh. Hannah Montana rights, Cheetah Girls rights, you know, just doing it for the girls, the gays, and the fays. Like, we all need to <laughs> Just know that I'm doing it for y'all. Hell yeah, that's what we love to hear. All right, let's hop right into it then. Uh, with this number one versus number 16 matchup, Chris, I could go ahead and start us off here. Please, please uh, do. Hannah Montana at the number one seed versus number 16 Connect 3. Was not a Hannah Montana fan growing up. I, I feel like it, I just maybe missed the window of would have been watching it at the time. Uh, and so I was not too into Miley Cyrus or Hannah Montana. Definitely didn't see any of the Camp Rock films until we did our decom bracket once upon a time. And so I'm vaguely familiar with Connect 3. But I think that everyone listening knows who Hannah Montana is. Everyone knows what the show was. Everyone, probably everyone th that has listened to this has seen the Hannah Montana movie, I would assume, or at least no songs from it. Uh, very popular act, obviously. That's why she's the number one seed here. And I don't really want to dive into a ton of like who she is and her backstory and yada, 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 because she's up against Connect 3. And when you have a band performed by the Jonas Brothers in the Camp Rock series that really is just putting on a performance on a stage for a bunch of campers, you when it comes to like best musical act on screen, you can't, you cannot take down someone like a Hannah Montana who's in the show, this like international pop star who has like record deals and who's out here uh, collabing with other artists, including the Jonas Brothers in one episode. I honestly just do not see an argument or a world in which Connect 3, this camp band, which I know in the in the movie they are like an actual band and they come to camp and and Nick Jonas's character is supposed to be this kind of like spoiled brat who has to teach at this camp, but it's not they're nothing compared to the superstardom and honestly like the overall pop sensation talent that is Hannah Montana. I'm gonna go with the one seed without even providing any little bits of evidence, just based on notoriety and performance level alone. Let's let's just get let's just get our make sure we're getting our information straight um, with Connect Three here, Kyle. I don't want you to just kind of gloss They're over gone. the facts. They're gone. Right? Connect Three. Uh, Shane Shane Gray is is the front man of Connect Three, as performed by Joe Jonas. Okay. And and we meet Shane Gray and Connect Three at the beginning of Camp Rock One. Demi Lovato, a.k.a. Mitchie, 
and Camp Rock is at her breakfast table and on her TV is the TV show Hot Tunes. And and the reporter in Hot Tunes is doing like a what it's so he so like each channel kind of like acts entertainment. What's the show? E entertainment, we, not entertainment weekly. That's a magazine like, inside like access or yeah, like this entertainment tonight. tonight. Yeah, it's E E tonight. Yeah, right. And she, she's like, Whoa, we're outside of the Connect Three music video shoot where bad boy Shane Gray has <laughs> walked off the set yet again. And it sounds like the band is going to go on hiatus until Shane can get his stuff together. Yes. And then cut to not immediately, but eventually we meet them again at camp rock and Shane, just Shane gets dropped at camp rock. And he's yeah. like this guest instructor and he's kind of, it's kind of like an Iron Man three situation where Shane gray has to go back <laughs> to his roots. Where he sure. used to be a, he used to be a camper and he can like rediscover his passion for music where he's yeah. not just out here like partying. And uh, he falls in love with Mitchie and they do a song uh, in the end together. Sure. And so like Connect 3 never performs as a band in the first Camp Rock movie. It's not until the second Camp Rock movie where they get up on stage and they actually do some Connect 3 stuff. Okay. And I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I, I like the Jonas Brothers, um, okay. particularly Nick Jonas. I think... Most people would say that he's the best Jonas brother, both in, in the success of his solo career, as long as you don't count. Uh, I think it's Joe in his band. I can't remember what they're called, but they're pretty good. DN DNC. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Nick is like a way better actor. Super funny. Uh, he does like low key Broadway stuff sometimes too. love Nick. Um, okay. but these Jonas bros, the other two, they just can't act. And it's pretty <laughs> excruciating to watch. Um, and in camp rock Two, they all get up on stage. Cause as Raymond mentioned, there's like a head to head with like another camp that's across the lake. And they're like, um, in pitch perfect, the like other, the, the right. all women's ensemble. And they're just like, perfect. And they're like, Oh, we're going to lose. And so, Connect three. It's like, well, let's show them how we do it boys. And so they do a little like connect three number that I'm pretty sure is pretty like generic, uh, super generic, generic. pop rock. Super. Um, I think I called it in my, in my notes, like Disney pop, like at that time, like Disney pop alt, like what they wanted some sort of like radio hit to sound like when I was like in high school, is is like when the Jonas Brothers were kind of like rising to prominence. It was like the MySpace era, and um, I was I was of course like kind of jealous of the attention that the Jonas Brothers would get, and and <laughs> and part of my argument for like being a Jonas Brothers hater back in the day was like. Dude, if you actually look at them performing, there's like 10 guys in the background performing the actual music. And then the the Joe bros are just in the front kind of like pretending. Totally. Uh, And so even in Camp Rock where like they're not even playing live music, they have like the dudes in the background (laughs) doing the actual music, which I think is so funny. The dude was like on a keyboard providing the drums in the background <laughs> and he's just like a blurry shot but he's like tapping away for the the drum track so funny 
it's i mean given it is very hard to be like a three-piece rock and roll band uh rush is like the the holy triumvirate they're the the kind of like gold standard for three-person uh sure. complete rock band i'm sure there's more that i'm that i'm missing <laughs> but it's the first one i thought of <laughs> Nick Nick also does like a Jason Mraz parody in Camp Rock too. It's like it's called Introducing Me. It's like I'm yours uh oh, to even the beat of more, I'm yours. More grounds to get them out of this bracket. Yeah. I mean, I I, <laughs> I semi enjoy it, but it's okay. pretty much a ripoff. Um and again, I like Nick, so like any like Nick solo content I'm very much into. Um yeah, I think at the end of the day, we just have so much more Miley, both on stage and off stage. Uh, the Camp Rock franchise, if you want to call it that, I think is is kind of like Mitchy focused. It's very much Demi Lovato's bag. I think mm-hmm. uh, the the Jonas Brothers are just kind of like the the marketing vehicle behind Camp Rock before Demi yeah. Lovato really broke out, and to an extent, in, in like even after Demi Lovato had broken out. So I'm right in uh, Hannah Montana with you into the second round. Raymond, do you agree with this? Yeah, I'm definitely going to agree with this. I just, you know, the, the history I have with Hannah Montana will always, I'll carry that with me to, my, to the end of my days for sure. I think that Jonas Brothers, of course, like they are an amazing band. I do enjoy their music too. And I actually love the Introducing Me song. That's one of the ones that I keep on my playlist every once in a while. <laughs> um, you know, I actually saw the Camp Rock tour live back in like, oh. like, oh, eight, oh, seven, oh, eight ish. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It was really dope. It was like the Joe bros and then Demi came out and then Alice Stoner came out and I was Whoa. just like, whoa, you know, three P there you go. But it was just like cool to see them perform and then to see them play these roles in Camp Rock. They're all like kind of not likable in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's already hard to like Kevin, but like they made him really dumb. Like, oh god, you know, like Cat Valentine dumb. Like it was very very sad to see, but it also felt kind of natural for him. I just think that <laughs> Anna Montana just takes the cake very easily here. I think it's kind of a yeah, kind of a massacre actually. <laughs> yeah, it's not close. But um, always good to see the Joe Bros pop up. Um, sure. Always good to, to to give me an opportunity to talk about my love for Nick. All right, <laughs> let's move on to the next matchup. It's number eight, the Pearly Band from Mary woo. Poppins versus number nine, Cheetah Girls. Was that a little woo for the Pearly <laughs> Band? Woo. Yeah, shout out Pearly Band. <laughs> okay, so so uh, let's talk. I had no idea that this band had a name, um, and yeah. so if, if you don't really know what we're talking about in Mary Poppins. The supercalifragilistic number has like a band performing in the background and that band is called the Pearly Band. And I don't think they're ever named in the movie. I don't know where they got the name or like who gave it to them. They're called the Pearly Band because they wear these like pearl pearls like all over their clothes, (laughs) um, which I, I never really like put like, I noticed that until I learned they were called the pearly band. I was like, Oh, okay. I guess those are pearls. I thought they were just little white, I don't know, buttons or rhinestones or bejeweleds or bedazzled or whatever it's called. (laughs) Right. Here's the thing. I'm a little suspicious about this band. It seems like, (laughs) it seems like their instruments, 
Like there's not enough instruments Thank for like you. the sound. Let's talk about the instrument. <laughs> Let's talk about the instruments, please. Yeah, I'm I have that written down too. They're they're definitely none of their instruments are making any of the sounds that are happening in the song, except for maybe the big like kick drum guy. But what's homeboy with the double drumsticks doing in the back? They're just sticks. <laughs> they're just the, sticks. He's just, just shaking sticks. sticks. Shaking around. <laughs> so you've yeah. got so you've got a tambourine lady yep who has holding her, a purse yeah, the who entire has time purse with her yeah <laughs> on the go when i when i used yeah. to work when i used to work at an ice rink um people would be they wouldn't want to like leave their stuff like on the benches but they didn't want to buy it but they didn't want to buy a locker either oh, so they would like no. go skate on the ice like with their purse and this reminded me of that it's like <laughs> that woman who just won't put her bag down she's literally clutching her pearls y'all yeah. literally you've got the short little kick drum guy yep you've got this the stick man stick man okay so so far we have three percussion instruments yeah only <laughs> And then the next guy is playing like an instrument that doesn't even really exist. It looks like a banjo drum cymbal combo. Yeah, that's what I got too. Yeah. Um, and then you've got a viol, like a fiddle, fiddle player or violinist or something. So like right. there's there's like one actual instrument and like four percussion instruments. Yep. Yep. Uh, and you yep. have this full symphony sound with super cow plays. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so that's very suspicious. Um, <laughs> apparently though, the voice of two of the guys, there's the Sherman bros. No way. Yeah. If you look at like the, the Disney wiki, apparently the, the woman is voiced by Julie Andrews, which I don't think she says anything ever. So I don't really right. know like how that's possible, but apparently the other dudes are, the Sherman bros, not the guy who's like, he said it to me, girl, and now he tells me why. <laughs> but, but like the other ones. That, okay. They go, I'm the lily, I'm the I'm the Yes. So that's what I was going to say that uh, those parts are probably performed also by Julie Andrews, and that's where she gets that credit is that yeah, she's providing that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, little, little pearly band trivia. Uh, they appear, and I, I'm kind of suspicious, Kyle, about Uh-oh. about why you like this band so much because they appear <laughs> in 101 Dalmatians 2, Patches London hmm. Adventure. Hmm. Oh. What a coincidence. Not booked and busy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, well, I have a lot of that. This only, like, this only provokes questions because, like, this chalk, is this a chalk world that they're going into? <laughs> right. And, and, like, is the pearly band... Uh, a figment of their imaginations and th- they get washed uh. away with the rain. But, so like, how do they appear in 101 Dalmatians 2? So is the London of 101 Dalmatians universe in the chalk drawings in Mary Poppins? Wow. So yeah. Or did Bert- were, yeah. Did Bert like create, is he like the God of wow. 101 Dalmatians? Wow. Possibly. Or, or, were they like sealed in some sort of chalk realm? And when it rained, they were like freed <laughs> um, back into, into the real world. Clawed out of the pavement <laughs> as it rained. It's, it's, it's just, like I said, it causes more confusion than anything. But sure. one last thing about uh, the Pearly Band. 
they they nail that like and and a few bands on this list do that, but they nail the like interband relationship. Uh, yes, aspect. There's a t- which, well, there's a ton of chemistry, mostly because it seems like all of them are. F-ing. <laughs> <laughs> We know at least two of them are. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's definitely giving here. <laughs> and like that happens in in bands, you know. Yeah. You're on the you're on the road a lot. Well, yeah. well, let's take a look at their faces. It's clearly inbred to a certain extent. <laughs> yeah, this is a this is generation sure. two of early band. <laughs> Not the cousin band, the cousin lovers, <laughs> the cousin huggers. <laughs> no, that's sick. No. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, I don't, it's small. It's small. It's definitely like they weren't like, oh yeah, you know, make these people feel more like a real musical ass. Let's make them do each other. Uh, it was just like, <laughs> definitely a coincidence, but, yeah. um, if we're, if we're, you know, we, a part of our job here, y'all is to break this stuff down. Yeah. So we have to we mention have to. it. Have to. Have to. All right. So Pearly Band is going up against the Cheetah Girls and this one feels a lot like the last matchup where, yep. yep. You have a band that you don't get a whole lot of time with up against this musical act that kind of transcends the show. Um, and you get so much of them performing, not performing there. There's elements of like the music business itself included in there. Uh, deep kind of uh, dynamics and relationships happening within the band itself. Um, in addition to just a, a, a random. Yeah. Uh, so I saw, so yeah, I'm going to go with the cheetah girls here. Um, I think pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, uh, 101 Dalmatians, shout out Roger Radcliffe, who also didn't make this dance. The jingle man himself, who is somewhat <laughs> of a musical act. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. They're up against cheetah girls, which just has so much more. They also, we get we get more flavors out of them in their genres of music than we do with the Pearly Band, who seems to be more of that kind of like 18th century street side, almost marching band-esque sort of group. And and Cheetah Girls are a little bit more versatile as we see throughout all of their films. So I agree with you. Cheetah Girls are gonna move on here. Raymond, we'll we'll talk about our Cheetah Girls connection, I think, next time. But I would assume that we made the correct decision here. Yes, I'm going to definitely agree with that. I think it's kind of no competition. You know, Cheetah Girls gave us three very solid movies. Yep. They showed us exactly what Raven Simone can do. And right. she mopped the floor with those movies. I mean, mm-hmm. she was toe to toe with Angela Bassett. She was toe to toe with Adrian Bailon. It was just yep. like, it was stacked. Honestly, these movies were stacked. And then the fact that the Cheetah Girls were able to take us to these other countries too, like, I was the first time I seen Spain. I was like, I want to go there. <laughs> yeah. It looks very lit. They're just all jamming in the streets, dancing, choreos planned. You know, it was yep. pretty cool. And just to to know that they had chemistry like with each other at the time was pretty cool too. Until they didn't. I think right. a band with a rich history of hating each other always makes better music. I mean, hey, like Fleetwood Mac is right there. Conflict I think can... girls are on the same level as Fleetwood Mac. <laughs> <laughs> put it in the books cheetah girls fleetwood mac on the sharing the same stage headlining a, a festival near you thousand percent thousand percent all right let's talk about this next matchup which i think it's gonna be a little bit more difficult uh we have the number four ernesto de la cruz versus the number 13 
pink slip. Mm-hmm. Here we are talking about the the villain in Coco when most of our conversations around Coco in the past on this podcast have been about the music or about the heroes or the most beautiful scene. We didn't really get to dive too much into Ernesto de la Cruz. And so I think everyone has seen this film, but obviously Ernesto de la Cruz is who Miguel thinks is his great grandfather and he is, or his grandfather, whatever, ancestor. And so he is trying to reconnect with him as Miguel gets into the land of the dead um, to bless him to perform basically and change his family's mind. We, it turns out Ernesto de la Cruz was not Miguel's ancestor. In fact, he killed his great-grandfather uh, over music. And this is where like his, his tainted history almost strips him of, of all that he did musically. I think that the songs that he performs, such as a, a Remember Me, he's able to hop on stage with Imelda and do La Llorona, uh, the great performances from him in those songs. Uh, he also did that once that one only a song song that we get a snippet out of when Miguel's up in his little like makeshift attic thing mm. and he's strumming along. So we he's Ernesto de la Cruz is is more than just this like musical sensation. He was also a movie star. He was one of those kind of pop stars that transcended media, and he would be in in films in which he was the main character often having some sort of music tie to his character. But then he was also this like pop sensation, especially in like Mexico. And so when he dies, he dies this pop sensation. And in the land of the dead, he is still that pop sensation. He's He has this musical contest in which if that person wins, they get to go up and, and join him in his year, year round festivals, annual uh, party at his house. And so I think that he he plays guitar. Everything's great about him. But the one thing that is a little bit deceptive, which I think always puts a blemish on these kind of musicians if they're not honest about it, is that he he not only stole music, but had essentially like a ghostwriter the entire time, but didn't ever admit to it. Quite literally a ghostwriter because he killed the dude who wrote these songs, like a Remember Me, who he took got credit for, right? And so... You you always want to ensure that the the integrity of the artist is still there when they are performing these things. In this fictional world, yes, of course. He's he's a great musician. He's a great sing, great singer, vocal control, on point. Uh he can he can truly belt it. But he did kind of steal all of his music and steal all of the shine and steal all of the lyrics. And and you don't really I don't really like that out of a musical act fictional or not and he gets his own he gets his due and and hector is kind of revived as this person who is the actual musical act he's up against pink slip we have a we have a freaky friday uh reference here on mouse madness i don't know that we've we've even talked about this movie before but it's it's finally time it is finally time freaky friday Lindsay lohan Jamie Lee Curtis, switching bodies, getting into hijinks, learning a little bit about themselves, mending their relationship. It is it is a classic film that I think is very fun to watch all of these 20-something years removed. Right, I think that it's a very fun watch to this day. And I think Lindsay Lohan plays that kind of that that teen so well because that's literally all she did <laughs> in her career is play these like teenage teen angst almost too smart for her own good teens uh throughout her career and so 
we have Lindsay Lohan, who's part of this band called Pink Slip. And Pink Slip is another one like Connect Three, in which the three band members are really the band, but they're also accompanied by a, f- a full force of other musicians. So the three mains are Anna, who's Lindsay Lohan. She's the guitar player, and she also occasionally is the lead singer. You have Maddie, who is also a guitarist and, and lead singer, who's played by Christina Vidal, who is the Gabriella in Brink. Found out in my research, I don't know if you came across this, Chris, that the the Maddie character was supposed to be played by Kelly Osborne, And then at the time of Yikes. casting... At the time of casting, Sharon Osborne was diagnosed with cancer. And so Kelly dropped out of the project and they got Christina Vidal. Like first time ever hearing that Kelly Osborne was going to be involved in this movie. Not that I researched Freaky Friday on my, <laughs> you know, spare time, but that was something interesting. And then yeah, Peg, who plays guitar, maybe the bass sometimes. And this is performed by Haley Hudson, who really didn't do much after this. Um, then you also got some random dude on a bass. You got some random dude on the drums. Sometimes you have another random dude on guitar. It's who knows. But the main core band of Pink Slip are Anna, Maddie, and Peg. Um, so we get a few, a couple of songs out of them. We get Take Me Away, in which is, is that's their kind of like flagship song that carries their story throughout this film. Uh, we see them perform it in full which doesn't really yeah. happen these days, but we see them perform it in full in their garage as like a practice session. And that's where we're really introduced to them as a band unit. And then we get them performing it at this Battle of the Bands competition called Wango Tango that's being performed at the House of Blues uh, in which Lindsay Lohan is playing her mom in this situation, doesn't know how to play guitar. Jamie Lee Curtis comes down from the stands, grabs a guitar and performs for Lindsay Lohan, who then is trying to be like a mom who doesn't know how to play guitar. And when I tell you that is an Oscar worthy performance, I don't know if you went back and watched this, but it is so funny. It is so funny when uh, Jamie Lee Curtis starts doing the guitar solo and and Lindsay Lohan's doing the like bob back and forth and then the like the body (laughs) roll and and the like the leg kick. It is so funny. Gosh, that was good. Yeah. Um, So the, the, yeah, so so they're she's being revived in that moment, and then we get another performance at the very end by them, uh, called Ultimate, which is at the the wedding of Jamie Lee Curtis's character, and it, it it's great. Lindsay Lohan's character. I don't know if you looked up who's actually performing for these folks, Chris. I didn't, but Lindsay Lohan's character is on on the lead vocals in this one. Yeah, I, according to the credits in the movie, Christina Vidal is the performer for Take Me Away and Lindsay Lohan is the performer of Ultimate. No way. So. She's an artist, y'all. She used to release music. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So good. I mean, good for them. That, that just adds to their credibility. Raymond brought it up. Sometimes conflict really brings a band together and allows them to, to do some magic on the stage. And you get that out of this band, I think. Uh, of course, you have the self-destruction that happens at Wango Tango, but then, you know, Lindsay Lohan's character is able to be revived. And then you see their chemistry at full blast at the wedding. They're having fun. They have great stage presence. Um, it's great. And then I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I didn't look this up and I probably should have. Did Pink Slip cover um what I like about you for this mm. movie? And it just was on the the film soundtrack. 
Upon looking it up, it says uh, Lilix was still the... Lilix did it. Okay, yeah. yes. Okay. I knew that. Okay. So they people like, didn't do they sound, They probably were inspired by Lilix. Yes. Lilix sounds very much like the performance of Pink Slip throughout this film, which is why I Ooh. thought about that. Great version of what I like about you, yeah. for sure. Um, so yeah, so that that's Pink Slip. And I really like them. So in this matchup, I'm going to go with Pink Slip. I think that Ernesto de la Cruz ha- is a great kind of legacy performer. He's one person doing this in- incredible singing performance. You don't see a ton of him outside of just standing still and singing. You get some dance moves in La Llorona, but it's not necessarily like choreographed or anything. They're they're trying to they're fighting on stage. And then in the scene where he's performing on stage, he's killed 30 seconds later. <laughs> he appears at the top of this pyramid and gets crushed by a bell. Pink Slip just feels a lot more authentic. It feels like something that you would see out of a high school band. You have this storied journey that they go on as band members, and their performances are fantastic. That Their songs don't sound like the Disney alt-pop. It sounds like authentic pop-punk, in my opinion. I'm going with Pink Slip. Kyle, you work in a creative field. Yeah. I work in a creative field. Who among us has not stolen something from someone else and not given credit where credit is probably (laughs) due? Yeah. Thousand percent. I also don't make money off of those specific stolen instances, but... Sure. Ernesto de la Cruz, like, yeah, if we're breaking him down as an artist, it's all of those things that you said that are kind of like sketchy, you know, he's, he's a pirate or he's a thief. He's not authentic, like whatever. I think that Coco being a a movie about music, like that it's, yes, he is all those things and it's trying to serve a theme in the movie about music and who music belongs to. Yes. Where right. Ernesto is the celebrity. He's on TV shows. Uh, he's he's in movies. He Miguel says he, he has the coolest guitar. Um, he's the most beloved singer in Mexico history. He's got statues. He's yeah. got he's got a dope tomb in the graveyard. Like everyone worships this guy. Um, and he's a total fraud. He's he's like not any of the things that he portrays himself to be. This like super loving romantic figure uh, who is very kind. We we've talked at length about how much we like the song "Remember Me," uh, about how much we like "Recuerdame," the the Spanish translation of "Remember Me." Uh, only, only flaw being that on the audio track, on the soundtrack that they include the dropping of the bell when, uh, Ernesto, (laughs) Ernesto de la Cruz goes bye bye on stage, man, man died on stage. What a legend. (laughs) Um, yeah, I like, I really am with you on, um, pink slip feeling a little bit more like a real band than Ernesto de la Cruz. I do like the, the kind of like aspirational side of Ernesto. And, and I think it's sort of realistic in that way that like we look up to these artists that we really don't know anything about them. I mean, probably people like us don't really hold our 
pop culture icons in high regard, but a lot of people do out there, you know, and especially, especially children, children like Miguel, you know, who like don't really know any better. And, and all they, you know, they think that all of these things that are out there about this person are real and that, that, you know, they're, they're aspirational people, hence the TV show American Idol. So, right. Um, so I think he is realistic. Um, but we're talking about best Disney musical act. And, and after looking at a lot of these musical acts, uh, you know, approachability and like relatability are, are important things for me when I'm thinking about a good Disney act. And er- Ernesto is neither of those things. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm with you. I'm, I'm going with pink slip. Did not think that pink pink slip would be making it out, out of the first round here. But now that we're talking to talking it out, uh, I think it's deservedly. So, so Raymond, we're cruising right along here. Uh, do you agree with Lindsay Lohan and pink slip moving on? Yeah, I want to first off kind of like Loki apologize to the audience at home because this is we're all agreeing here a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy, easy choice being made. Um, I just think that Pink Pink Slip, you know, there was a monumental moment there. They were fine for women rights. It was giving like Pussy Riot, like it was yeah. giving like all these things. And like they were talking and they they pretty much walked so a later seed band, the Lemonade Mouth band, could run. I think that the transition from one to the other is very clear. Um, as far as looks go, I do want to touch on this a little bit. <laughs> they all looked really hot. I remember thinking, like, even like as a gay bro, person, I was like, they are sexy yes. Yes. performers. Like, peg, yes. bro, peg. It was just, they were all really like correct. Like, none of them looked phony. They were, yeah, it was giving. And I'm gonna say this: I think Ernesto de la Cruz is also very sexy. I think that that skeleton had me ready to risk it all. And it's sad that he turned out to be so evil. He turned out to be the Mexican Elvis, some would say. But at the end, I think that he had his moment. It's time for Pink Slip to move on. All right. Let's move on to um, a very interesting matchup. It's the number five seed, Country Bears versus number 12, Lemonade Mouth. So we had talked at the beginning of this episode about how these are music acts that are on screen and not ones that exist like in the real world. Um, and that includes uh, amusement parks. So we're going to go ahead and, and discredit uh, the Country Bears attraction. And, and okay. we're going to be talking uh, Country Bears, the live action movie. Jeez. Um, that being said, though, there there is a lot of uh, connection uh, between these two, the, the ride and the movie. So if I can just do a little bit of Disney nerding for like just two oh, seconds, please, um, Kyle, have you been on any versions of, of Country Bear Jamboree? Because there is a version in Tokyo. I did not do the Tokyo one and I haven't been to Walt Disney World. Okay. Uh, but you were not alive or were too young to remember the California. Too young, too young to remember the one in Disneyland. I think okay, like, Raymond's. When did it end? I, th- I want to say that the one in California left in '96. Okay. I mean, it was I probably late have 90s, like yeah. a deep-rooted traumatic moment because my mom was bringing me as like an infant, you know. So <laughs> I was terrified by these Five Nights at Freddy's. absolutely and that's that's my memory of it as well is like i don't remember the show but i remember being in the show and when trixie comes down the swing being like i'm out yeah so scary so um 
the country bear jamboree dates back to the mid 60s late 60s and funny we just talked about uh mark davis um mark davis was the guy who was kind of like putting together all of the bears uh and this was a project originally intended for mineral king ski resort and so uh well it was like we gotta have some entertainment let's make them animatronic bears because of course right. so mark davis was uh drawing up some bears and <laughs> and and walt walked into mark davis's office and was like these bears are so funny bro these bears are great and allegedly Walt said goodbye to Mark Davis and Walt never said goodbye to people. And that was the last time Mark Davis ever saw Walt Disney he died two days later. Whoa. Oh, wow. So opened with magic kingdom in Florida and it was so popular yeah, that so, I mean, when they, when they opened yeah. the version in California, they built two theaters. <laughs> They built they the said, same attraction <laughs> twice. Hey, if Florida likes it, California going to like it. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, pretty insane. So I uh, I just went to Florida, just went to Magic Kingdom, and I did ride or watch the country <laughs> bear. <laughs> <You wrote it. laughs> and uh, I, I said in our in my Patreon trip report, I said, this is one of those rides that's like got this like quaint cult following, but I'm not, I do not stand for that. It's, it's old. It doesn't look good. It's got to go. I'm ready yeah. for the bears to be unplugged. Uh, <laughs> and so it's a musical review. Uh, yeah. It's basically kind of like America sings where some bears come out and they do like 30 seconds of music and then they go away and then a different bear comes out and it's like a different song or a different theme or, or whatever. So there's a band that comes out at the beginning of the show called the five bear rugs. Uh, and those are the bears featured in the country bears movie. They're the main characters. They're the band in the country bears. But in addition to those five bears, in the country bears movie is also Henry who is like the MC of the country bear jamboree ride and of this fictional band, but they also bring in Trixie and big Al into, okay. uh, into the Trixie's in the band. Big Al is like the janitor of like this country bear lodge that they, <laughs> that they live in and play at or something. I don't really know. Yeah. Oh man. That sounded like such a complicated way to introduce these country bears. <laughs> it feels like it took so long. Now you killed it. I love it. <laughs> but basically this movie is ass. Yeah. I mean, it's so bad. Um, it's basically a get the band back together movie, but there's like absolutely no friction or drama or character development in any way whatsoever. It's like, right. let's get the band back together. Okay. Hey, you want to be in the band? Okay. Hey, you uh, want to be in the band? Let's go. Hey, you want to mm. be in the band? You got it. Uh, and then they get back together in the end and they play the show and they save the barn or something. Um, something bad. <laughs> Not Pretty the barn. stupid. Not the barn. Well, it's weird. It's like, so it's like they're a house band where it's, but they built the house. <laughs> <laughs> So it's like they wanted to be a house band so bad that they just built a house <laughs> and eventually they, they're not able to pay their taxes 
because <laughs> people stopped coming to the show. Like, of course they did. Like, you gotta, you gotta go to the people. This is not a sustainable business model, y'all. Oh man. Um, the Country Bears in the Country Bear Jamboree ride feels like a tribute to like the Ryman Auditorium or the or the Grand Ole Opry, where yeah. it's this kind of very like country. And like country is, is like a moving target. Country is a genre that is ever evolving. And there are so many different subgenres of country. Uh, but like classic country is, is kind of the review where there's a little bit of comedy. It's like uh, the Carter family. So June Carter, Johnny Cash, Tammy Wynette, George Jones. Uh, and that's all kind of like paid tribute to in the country bear jamboree attraction, but the country bears, the movie version, they're more like a Southern rock group. They're kind of like Leonard <laughs> Skinner or they're yeah. like the Eagles or Creedence Clearwater. Sure. And so Stars I'm having bottom. a dis <laughs> I, I'm having like a disconnect because like in the movie, like, Oh yeah. Like they're one of the biggest country bands of all time. And they had a, a they were the first band to have a country song recorded in Polish or something like that. I'm like, this isn't country music though. This is like yeah. Southern rock music. <laughs> um, and this is an argument that happens so much in country music. It's like, what is country? What is in country? I don't know, but this is not whatever this is, is definitely not country. Um, yeah. we don't hear them play a lot of songs. Uh, we get like an opening number and we also get like a closing number when they finally save the barn. Uh, bears are creepy. They are like puppets. They're not CGI. This was like mm. pre CGI stuff still. Um, it's just a bad, bad, bad movie and like not so bad that it's funny. It's just like sto- so just stupid. It's just bad. Country bears are going up against lemonade mouth and I don't love the movie lemonade mouth either. Um, but I think I think about how so much of the movie is dedicated to the members of the band and and this movie really is about a band coming together. Uh, how they interact with each other, how they interact with people that are not in the band. Uh, and it's kind of a cool, like family sort of story, uh, which yeah. I really like. And, and like country bears is it, they say that it's like, Oh, the, the bears are family. Like that's a major like line in the movie, but there's, there's like no relationship between any of them that, that is of any substance. Whereas in lemonade mouth, there's a lot of, of drama that happens in between the kids and stuff like that. So, as far as a movie goes, I, I'm not sure I love Lemonade Mouth, but as far as like a Disney on-screen musical act, I think Lemonade Mouth is pretty solid. Uh, so I have them advancing over the Country Bears, even though Country Bears do kind of tickle that Parks nostalgia that I love so much. Yeah, it's I didn't even take notes for the Country Bears. I saw that movie, I think, when it came out, but I haven't seen it since. Don't need to see it. Don't really like the idea of the attraction. I've listened to the attraction's like soundtrack before and it's just not my it's just not my style of music it's not my thing lemonade mouth they're fine they're definitely better than the country bears so yes lemonade mouth will move on in this one as well raymond we haven't given you any work uh to do in this first half of the bracket uh i would assume that you were gonna also go lemonade 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 mouth over country bears this uh yes. this connect three is hitting me straight to the dome right now <laughs> 
Yeah, Lemonade Mouth, actually, that's one of my favorites. I was way too old to be watching that and, like, being as into it as I was. But I was right there. I was yeah. there. And I've, and I've rewatched that many times over the years. And the songs, like, oh, my God. <laughs> More than a bit. Re- reach for my hand and held out for you. Like, these, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of shit that, like, actually hits. Like, that song and also Naomi Scott, legend, mm-hmm. like, in... Mm-hmm multiple flops in her career so far but like we love her (laughs) because she's saying she's so gone yeah about female empowerment talk about just like sticking it to the mom like we (laughs) love lemonade mouth in this house and they were they went number one here let me tell you (laughs) and none for country bears like i don't even there's nothing to say there like no i could just see matted fur banjos missing teeth that's all that's all i can see right now <laughs> yeah, easy one again. Again. Again, an easy one. Well, let's move over across the bracket here because I've got something to say about this next matchup. It's the number two, Scat Cat and the Alley Cats versus number 15, Microbe. Scat Cat and the Alley Cats are from the Aristocats. They're the ones that perform Everybody Wants to Be a Cat, featuring Thomas O'Malley, featuring the little kittens on the piano, featuring Duchess on the harp. This scene takes place towards the end of the film. Uh, they are they're all meeting up in this kind of what seems to be somewhat of a, like an abandoned building and they throw down this like jam session. The trap house. The trap house. The ja- jazz trap house. <laughs> and that's thank you for bringing that up because I think that's really important. Like in jazz music and ga- jazz culture, the venue plays a big part into the music that is being played. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you think about like these jazz clubs specifically on like the East coast and in Chicago that often come with these kind of legendary stories. And I feel like this, this jazz trap house plays that kind of part into it, uh, into the lore of scat cat and the alley cats. And before, so even before I get to like that kind of theme, let's introduce scat cat and the alley cats, scat cat. He's the big, like, furry black cat that plays the trumpet who originally was supposed to be voiced by Louis Armstrong uh, but he got sick and wasn't able to like sing or perform so they went with uh, Scatman Crothers who's another jazz musician and renamed the cat Scat Cat and then we get a little we get a little crazy here and we talked about this every time that we talk about this movie let's talk about this song uh, the the racism that plays into these films in the 60s and 50s and even to the 70s is pretty much highlighted and pointed to in this film. So we have Shun Gon, who is the Siamese cat voiced by Paul Winchell, who is the voice of Tigger and the voice of Boomer from uh, Fox and the Hound, the big like woodpecker bird. Uh, Very racist depiction of of this cat not only in its exaggerated slanted eyes but the way in which paul winshield puts on this very derogatory accent uh in the actions and the gags that they have this cat perform as with chopsticks playing the piano keys uh he it's not great it is not great but shangan plays the piano plays the drums at one point as well that's who that cat is billy boss voiced by none other then the boy, Thurl Ravenscroft, of course, he's a Russian cat, which doesn't really come through because he sounds a lot like the German bird from Tiki Room, Fritz, <laughs> who's also performed by Thurl Ravenscroft. Yeah. So it's almost like 
he just did the same accents like ah northern europe kind of like mm. uh we'll we'll see about it you got peppo that's our italian cat that plays the accordion and then hit cat who is the english cat that plays the guitar so that's scat cat and the alley cats of course you have duchess who comes in with this like little interlude bridge and plays the harp thomas o'malley who's singing the song as well and then you have the kittens who are playing some of the piano riffs uh dancing around so that's the band they perform in this trap house they are absolutely getting it they are they are jamming like a jazz band would be jamming everyone's kind of playing their part everyone's doing a little bit of improv everyone's doing a little bit of their own sort of thing throughout the scene not a whole lot of them are playing their instruments and you want you got to wonder where the music is coming from oftentimes the the cats are dancing they're not performing they're not playing but the vibes are there towards the end of the song they hop onto the piano and they're all together kind of like stomping the everybody they take us to church they take us to church on top of this piano and this piano proceeds to kind of drop from floor to floor (laughs) breaks through the floor breaks through the floor breaks through the floor until they hit the ground and they come marching out into the street and they bring the party into the street this is jazz baby i love this the back to the legendary club thing this is like them establishing a legendary night at this trap house jazz club they they were jamming so hard that they broke through three floors ended up on the ground and took the party outside like Theoretically, they probably didn't break through all of those floors, but it was such a legendary jam session night that that's how it's minted. This jazz club, jazz house is minted as the place where they literally brought the house down. I was going to say, I hope, I hope that they put down a security deposit for this trap house because <laughs> Scat Cat is not getting that back. No, absolutely not. You know they were squatting on that. It's the only place that they could find recording spaces in an abandoned building somewhere. Of course, I, like I want to, I want to get a cat, and, and my landlord's, you know, needs pet rent and like a pet yeah. deposit. I'm like maybe this is why. Like maybe she thinks that <laughs> my my cat is gonna start a band yeah. and then just destroy <laughs> the condo. She comes by with the the cat lease. Okay, let's see here. Um, does your cat play any instruments? <laughs> um, okay, that's a no. So probably not breaking through the floor this time. No jazz. <laughs> No well, jazz. No, you got. How do you feel about jazz? <laughs> talk about jazz. We'll have to get my uh, my future cat and your current cat together, Kyle, and maybe they can start a band. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Um, and and this film doesn't take place in a traditional jazz city that we think of here in the in America, like a a New York or Chicago. It takes place in Paris, but Paris has such a deep jazz history all the way back to World War One. that this also just makes so much sense. So I really enjoy this performance. Don't enjoy the depiction of the musicians by Disney animators and Disney storytellers with the character Shun Gone. Like, definitely don't like that. But the, the song as a whole, a slap. They're up against Microbe, who... Chris called me out in our um, in our research on this because I was like, oh yeah, the band Protozoa from... Xenon and Chris is like, nah, man, that's microbe. Protozoa was just the lead singer. And I was like, damn, you right. And looking back on it, like, no duh, I thought it was Protozoa because like he's he's the face of microbe. Yeah. We don't know who yeah. any of these jabronis no. are in the back. No. Like, come on, they're all these like space 
accompany musicians, but Protozoa is out here like talking to the crowd, doing his thing. So who is Microbe? Microbe is this intergalactic band who turns out to be the very first to ever play in outer space. Lead man's name, of course, Protozoa. Do you look up his uh, his Disney fan wiki by any chance? The character Protozoa. Protozoa. No, I did not. Because what did we my man, my man's was born in 2022. So oh, uh, happy no birthday! <laughs> oh, <laughs> Welcome to the world, Protozoa. Everyone's, everyone's talking about George Jetson. We should be talking about Protozoa. <laughs> we should be talking about Protozoa. We need to find everybody. Keep your your baby alerts. Look at your local hospitals. See if we have a a protozoa being born. Uh, yeah, twenty twenty two. He he was born. So happy birthday to him. Um, and then I looked further because what the hell is protozoa? Xenon the series is trying to be this like uh digestible science fiction type story. Something that like you can as a ten year old, eleven year old can look at, understand, keep moving on. So protozoa is this very futuristic sounding type of name for a band person and and a protozoa is actually like a single cell parasite. But the infections it can cause can range from asymptomatic, which is like most what we most of us have when we're infected with this parasite. Or life-threatening. Like the range is just like it's either you're fine or you're probably going to die at some point, depending on the species. So like this is a this is a parasite. Protozoa is a parasite. He is latching on to what the I don't even remember what Xenon ship is called, but he's latching on to the success of this ship and this colony that's leaving Earth, and he's he's attaching his name to it. I I call their their vibe space pop. They they sure. perform what feels yeah. very much like popular music but with like spaceship sounds or just very over electronicized instruments uh and chris sang in the in the intro he sang in the introduction of this this group supernova girl this song that most people know zoom 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 make my heart go boom boom as the chorus from the very first film and i thought that was all i thought we got protozoa boom he hosts this like a uh, contest in which you would be able to like perform with him, yada yada, Xenon wins, so on and so forth. But no, Protozoa comes back in in the second film, Xenon. Uh, I don't remember what the subtitle of Xenon Two was. I know Xenon was Xenon Three was Z Three, of course, but don't remember the second one. Uh, he's back on Earth, and Xenon gets transported down there to let people know about the shenanigans that's happening up in space, and Protozoa helps her to to get make that happen. He's then again performs another song called The Galaxy is Ours. This one turns a little bit more modern pop like modern sounding pop mm-hmm. where it's not so much of the space vibes, but you still get a little bit of the intergalactic lyrics where they're talking about hyperspace and they're talking about, you know, flying from Earth and yada yada yada. And then in Z3, throw it throw Protozo, throw the entire micro band out the window because they become just very watered down pop. The protozoa actor is no longer protozoa. Like it's a new protozoa actor, just the same, same character. And they're playing a very generic type of music. So I don't know if after their performance up in space, they're like, nah, let's stick to this earth stuff. And it started kind of bringing it back down to this watered down pop sound, but that's what happens in the, in the film. So that's kind of protozoa, uh, very popular both on Earth and in space. And I think they're probably the only band on this bracket who can 
say that. Uh, and they, you know, that supernova girl is an absolute, absolute slap. I, I, I'm going to go with Scat Cat. I'm a jazz boy. I like their music better. Their one song better than I like Supernova Girl. Definitely don't tend to skew towards these, I don't know, popular versions of, of intergalactic vibes. I like this Scat Cat stuff. I love jazz. This song is a slap. Their performance is fun. Uh, we They're a little sus with how they play their instruments because oftentimes they're not playing them, but the sound's still happening. But what you going to do? Maybe they're lip syncing. Maybe they got a backtrack. Who knows? I'm going with the number two seed. Just want to call out that the second Xenon movie is called Xenon the Sequel. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> How could I forget? Um, thank you. I actually didn't really watch the sequel or Z3, so I, I wasn't familiar with their role in, in the other two movies. Uh, thank you for the definition of a protozoa. Uh, my, a, a microbe is actually a very similar uh, or single cell organism. So hmm. I think there's there must be a science joke in there somewhere. Shout somewhere. out to Eric Johnson. Uh, I'm sure he's <laughs> a science he's, guy. He he expulsed uh, air out of his nostrils uh, or something. <laughs> um, I'm I'm sort of into microbe actually. Are you? Um, yeah, I I think that the commercialization of microbe is is somewhat interesting, uh, especially in the context of the future. Okay. I think the for a song that is pretty poppy, I think the lyrics are are actually quite clever uh, for Supernova Girl. I'm I'm gonna read some of them to you. <laughs> Stargazing mega fast, you hit me like a cosmic blast. You're oh giving me a Technicolor world, putting me in overdrive. Speed of light, I'm so alive. Could you be my Supernova Girl? It sounds like Dynamite by Tayo Cruz. <laughs> I thought it sounded like Charlie XCX. <laughs> I love her. Interplanetary, megastellar, hydrostatic. There's no gravity between us. Our love is automatic. Okay. That's pretty good. There's no gravity between <laughs> us. Our love is automatic. Andre 3000, y'all? Yeah, actually, te- <laughs> technically... Technically, if there's no gravity between people, shouldn't they be like flying like, away? Uh, yeah, gravity is yeah. keeping them together, is it not? No, but maybe that's what he's saying. Like love, they don't need gravity because love is is what keeps them together. Got it. It's automatic, in fact. Isn't Supernova like something that's not very good either? Okay, so that's what I thought. And so the next verse is visions of your pretty face send me into hyperspace caught up in a planetary world breathing in you give me air i'm living off your solar flare could you be my supernova girl so yes a supernova is a bad thing because it is an explosion of a star and (laughs) i would hope that if i am trying to get a girl that she wouldn't explode right but i think what he's (laughs) hopefully what what i think he's what i think he's trying to say is that her love and her energy are so powerful that it is like that of a supernova yep i can see it and also 
what is inside of him feels like a supernova. In that first verse, he's he's saying that she's putting him into overdrive and he's at the speed of light feeling so alive. So um, I think this is really fun, like wordplay. And there's some fun, like love met space, love metaphors in here, which like I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. Like I like really, I like genre type stuff. And this seems to be that, especially considering so many of these Disney fakes artist songs are so freaking generic about you know singing about singing or like singing about being or it's just like okay this is at least something that feels like someone sat down and like tried to think about <laughs> yeah, what they were writing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> as opposed to be like hey what's like a generic song oh i don't know just put it out there just do it we'll do that it's fine um Aristocats. I'm I'm questioning uh, Scat Cat's status as a musical act. Like, if I am in my bathtub singing, am I a musical act? <laughs> like, if there's no audience, there's an audience. The, in the scene, they talk about the cats lining up on the fence, and they're lining up outside the the trap jazz house. There's an audience. <laughs> I, I still think I, I'm going to need a little bit more than just like an impromptu jam session uh, to consider something a musical act. So I'm going to go with Protozoa here and I'm going to throw it to Raymond for his first tie. Yay. Okay. So it was kind of hard for me to choose because I feel like the racism in the Aristocats should just like automatically disqualify it. <laughs> right. Even the Siamese like the Siamese cat song, like even that, like I remember singing that as a kid in public with my sister and like my mom being like, don't sing that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sing that one in that voice, even though it's the exact voice they use in the movie. Right. Very uh, questionable vibes, but yeah, that's a banger. You cannot not dance to that. I think that's really fun. That was like my first introduction to like that kind of music, I would say. And I remember very much jamming out like on a living room carpet. I wanted to say, uh, yeah, Scott Cat for sure. Sorry about that, Chris. Hey, it's all good. It's all good. Protozoa is going to go back to Earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and little baby Proto, if you're out there, we hope to meet you well, one day. Welcome to life. You know what's funny is naming your baby Protozoa in 2022 doesn't seem that far off anymore. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> we better check on Grimes and make sure that she's not pregnant. <laughs> oh, I really hope she isn't. <laughs> Baby's going to be born with frosted tips. <laughs> All right. The next matchup, we've got number seven, the Dorothea Williams Quartet from Soul versus number 10, the Three Caballeros from a bunch of old Disney stuff. Uh, I think this one's pretty easy for everyone. Uh, It's definitely going to be the Dorothea Williams Quartet. Uh, (laughs) I do want to say the Three Caballeros, uh, who are Donald, Jose, and Panchito. Panchito has some pipes. Oh, Uh, absolutely. I do do love uh, the very, like, stylized... Mexican performance of, mm-hmm. of the three caballeros. I don't know that Panchito is voiced by a Mexican man. It would not surprise me if it's not probably not, but here's the thing is like uh, they sing, they do like in the song of three caballeros, they sing about like they have guitars beside us. We sing and we samba, we shout I caramba, but caballeros is like, it's like a, a gentleman or like a, like a guy, right? Yeah. So, 
the three caballeros are kind of like more than a musical act they're in in so many of these like movies these like south american disney movies they're just kind of chilling you know they're just like three dudes being guys you know yes <laughs> especially <laughs> in the three caballeros yeah Right, where we eventually see them go like on a magic carpet ride to the beach and just start and start harassing women that just, are hanging out. Yeah, yeah for sure. Being, yes. Yeah, they even say uh, when some Latin baby says yes, no, or maybe each man I, I, is for himself. It's like there's so much to impact in, in that. Yes, in just that one. No. We're leaving the backs uh, We're running the opposite way. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go ahead and cross that whole one off. Um, I do want to. I do want to call out. Panchito is packing some serious heat. Heat. Uh, heat. With with the pistols, he's got not one but two that he points directly at the audience uh, first, and then when he says that the three caballeros are bright as a peso, and Donald says, who says so? He says, we say so. Yeah. And, and holds both pistols up to Donald's head in a very threatening manner oh while Jose God. Carioca holds his umbrella uh, like an assault rifle up to Donald's head as well. So yep. there's That's definitely, uh, it, there's some aggression. There's some definite uh, lawlessness involved in the three caballeros. Uh, they, they frighten me somewhat. I think yeah. there are definitely uh, more problematic factors than redeeming factors for the three caballeros. Uh, Dorothea Williams quartet, just so pure. Uh, great music, great people, great vibes. I uh, would love to unpack them more in the next episode because I got them moving on for sure. Mm-hmm. Jose is played by a Brazilian musician and composer. Um, Jose Oliveira. So we're okay, okay there. And then Panchito Pistoles is played by Joaquin Garay, who is from Mexico. So okay. they um they did their due diligence, which I think is the point, right? Like in the making of this and Saludos Amigos, the, the, right? The animators went to South America and Mexico with the purpose of creating films about these cultures. And um, yeah, it's definitely Dorothea Williams quartet. And we'll talk about it more next time because I, I really want to dive in and, and chat about that group. Um, Raymond, I would assume that you weren't going to lean towards the, uh, the three caballeros here. It was not. No, no. But it was nice seeing them at Small World. It's hard <laughs> yeah. to bring more weapons into that. True. Right? <laughs> we need more violence in It's a Small World, to be honest. We need more arms. It's, arms it's a it's a little too peaceful up in there. Should be a little bit more. All right, let's get to it. The next matchup is the number three power line versus the number 14, the Daughters of Triton. Daughters of Triton. I, like, I've never even put thought into this scene of the Little Mermaid until this bracket. Yeah. Daughters of Triton are the, the daughters of Triton, and they sing a song in which they all introduce themselves. And they are about to introduce the newest daughter of Triton, Ariel, but she's off in her little cave dreaming about Prince Eric <laughs> and uh, wanting to be part of his world. So, daughters of Triton, let's go ahead and let's name them. We got Aquata. Ooh. She's the first one. We got Andrina. Second Ooh. one. We got Arista. Ooh. Third one. We got Atina. Ooh. We got Adela. Ooh. We got Alana. And then Ooh. we have Ariel, who is the no-show. 
in this, the most of the song is just introducing themselves. This is the Shibuya roll call of Under the Sea. <laughs> they're just out here saying who they are and they swim away. The next person comes up and they're wet, ready to introduce Ariel. But in there, they mention, unlike Ernesto de la Cruz, that Sebastian wrote the lyrics to that song. That is a literal line in the song, which feels very Sebastian of him to do. Like he's there um, and he's like, let me write the music. Also in the music, you're going to reference that I wrote the music. Like it, it feels very much like he has his claws all in that stuff. So, but the idea of the daughters introducing Triton in this way as like showgirls almost is a little weird, little, little weird. Yeah. Beautiful voices, weird scenario. Put on a performance for assuming all of Atlantis, uh, but they are, it's a short 40 second bit. That's what we get out of her, uh, out of them. Up against Powerline, uh, we talked about Powerline in our Patreon episode in which Chris and I sat down and watched Goofy movie together. You know Powerline because Powerline has had a resurgence along with the Goofy movie over the last like 10 ish years. But he's the the pop sensation in the Goofy movie universe. Uh, we see him first uh, in the form of merch in Max's room. Max has posters of Powerline. He has a cutout of Powerline. I'm sure he has like shirts of Powerline. But throughout the the film, the film centers around Powerline. <laughs> like to, to be honest, they, the whole journey is to get to a Powerline concert, whether it's through deception or or honesty. So much so that like the kids of this universe are holding watch parties for a televised concert of Powerline. It's not just that they want tickets to go. They want to throw parties around this guy. And you think about who Powerline kind of is as a character in this, and it is very much like a Michael Jackson-esque sort of act, sort of performance, sort of aura about him, where he's here in these very extravagant stage sets. He's wearing this yellow power suit, this one piece that has all of these different sort of like shoulder elements and wrist elements. And he wears these, these cool glasses. He has that high pitched kind of like eighties, nineties, mic sort of sound power line being performed by Tevin Campbell, who in that moment in the early nineties was really hot. But power line in this film has two songs. He has Stand Out, which we see Max lip syncing to. So we get the Powerline version, but Max is lip syncing to at the school assembly that he takes over and becomes really popular from. And then Eye to Eye, which is the big finale performance at the end of the film that we see on stage with all the laser effects and the big electric nodes in the background and the background singers. And it's just this whole stadium environment and like i really like when musical acts put on a show outside of them sort of just showing up Uh, i think that is that's part of the popularity of lady gaga is that yes her 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 music isn't necessarily what drives people to see her but it's the performance that she's going to give while performing these songs her songs are fantastic but her performances are on another level and i think powerline brings a lot of that energy great singer obviously a very great dancer the the following just goes to show that he's this kind of internationally loved superstar i think especially if he's doing a stadium tour and he's in la and people are willing to go over and see him so 
I am obviously extremely biased because I love Powerline. My logo for this show is inspired by Powerline. Uh, I think the music, the songs are great. Eye to Eye is such a, a like an empowering love song as, as opposed to like an I want love song, which I think is really cool. The message behind Stand Out is great. Very shoehorned into like the film of Max wanting to stand out for someone like Max or uh, Roxanne. But we'll go ahead and let it slide. Uh, I just like Powerline a lot. Daughters try and give us 40 seconds of singing and that's about it. So it's got to be Powerline here. Um, I'm a sucker for a good cult show. Okay. And in my recent travels, I was able to watch on Netflix Keep Sweet. Yeah. Mm. Crazy. Pray and obey. Crazy. Crazy. Nasty. Crazy, crazy, nasty, freaky, illegal, horrible, awful, unspeakable things. And I would never draw a direct comparison between oh my God. King Triton and <laughs> the monsters that are oh. the real life <laughs> monsters that are depicted in that docuseries. Triton does demonstrate some sort of yeah. Very uncomfortable traits in this moment. Kyle, you kind of mentioned how the daughters of Triton are kind of like showgirls. And in the beginning of the song that they sing, they start with, we are the daughters of Triton. Great father who loves us and named oh us well. No oh boy. And yeah, like, it's that phrasing that is like scary almost to me. And this celebration that's happening uh, is a celebration for King Triton. It's not his birthday. It's not a holiday. He just decided we're going to go ahead and worship me today. Yeah. Because I said so. And I am King Triton. He's got the uh, trident that has some sort of like magic power that comes out of it. And as he's flying around the room on his chariot, you see the the people of Atlantis being like, oh my God, it's so amazing, so powerful and magic. I feel like he lords that sort of thing over these people. Like he, he's definitely deified himself in a way amongst his... Uh, totally. His his following, so... Totally. Um, Triton's kind of a trash dude. <laughs> Like you said, the song makes me uncomfortable. Uh, the Daughters of Triton, I'm sorry. I hope you get out of there. Hope Child Protective Services comes and, <laughs> comes and saves you. Comes and saves you and takes you to the surface. Um, but they're not going to advance to the next round. I'm with you on Powerline. Raymond, do we agree with this selection? I do. I do. I think that Powerline's amazing. I think it's... I think Powerline plays into... Um, I don't know if you guys have heard, but there's a lot of like, I guess Goofy and Max are supposed to be coded to be like black. And so I think yeah. that Powerline is for sure also. And I think right. it's really cool to have that moment, especially like in 90s Disney to be like having black animated characters in films like that. I think that they still need to better themselves in a lot of these ways, you know? Totally. That Powerline for sure should move on against the daughters. I like the daughters. <laughs> They're gorgeous. They're fun. I remember... Um, just they never show up like in merch or anything. Like you never see these girls. 
but one time they made Barbies of them and like they were immediately canceled because the the waistline was like a toothpick like Uh, they were fully stylized and so they were really like kind of like a little dangerous toy to have for a a young girl but I just remember loving that doll oh my god (laughs) it was like a hot tub toy so I was just like obsessed with her but like looking back on it yeah that's really creepy i never ever would have thought that was a creepy scene i thought it was a cool scene until this moment yeah yeah absolutely power line line all the way for sure all right our last matchup of the first round it's number six four town from what the hell is the movie called turning red come on man turning red (laughs) don't disrespect the kings like that (laughs) versus number 11 gazelle from zootopia um okay let's just can i just i'll just briefly talk about gazelle just do it gazelle is a pop sensation in the world of zootopia she is voiced by shakira and is meant is very much meant to be a tribute to shakira yes Uh, i am like a a casually big shakira fan i don't like listen to her entire discography but like her hits I'm, i'm big fans of her hits uh Gazelle is, of course, a gazelle. Uh, And she's got this like red tassel-y top and skirt. It's very much like a Shakira outfit. Shakira's thing is is the hip movement, the gyrations. And when she's got tassels on them, they look like they're moving very fast um, and very, it's like a trance almost. It's hypnotic, those hip gyrations. No pun intended. Um, (laughs) Gazelle is dummy thick, yo. Thank you. Um, she's she's an animal, literally. So that movie, that movie messed up a lot of children's minds. I just want to put that out there right the now. The whole film. I mean, there's still kids uh, talk about that tiger on that subway. Like <laughs> some very sexy animals in that film. Unfortunately, an entire generation of furries was born from Zootopia. Yeah, yep. and that's okay. Yeah, it's all it's okay. We first see, we first like experience Gazelle when Judy Hopps opens up the iPod. She's listening to Gazelle on the subway ride, or I guess it's a monorail ride into the city. She hops off the train, uh, and there's a big Gazelle billboard in like a Times Square area. And Gazelle's like, Welcome to Zootopia. I'm Gazelle. We've got Clawhauser and Chief Bogo, who work for the police department, have the Gazelle app where they've like face tuned themselves into a gazelle music <laughs> video and she says wow you are one hot dancer benjamin <laughs> Clawhauser." <laughs> uh and so so clearly like gazelle is this cultural phenomenon yeah uh, she also like at towards the end of the movie when everything's kind of coming to a head where it seems like you have this prey versus predator thing going on in zootopia gazelle puts together a peaceful protest which is covered by the zootopia news and Gazelle says, Zootopia is a unique place. It's a crazy, beautiful, diverse city where we celebrate our differences. This is not the Zootopia I know. And then she goes on and says more things about Zootopia, um, which is a very interesting and unique thing coming from one of these on-screen Disney musical acts. We never really see them 
comment on like these social uh, issues. I don't think yeah. anyone else is ever really in a position to do so, but it, but it is realistic. Uh, Zootopia is a fairly recent film and we have seen so many celebrities for better or for worse uh, inject themselves <laughs> into a lot of the, a lot of the social conversations that happen uh, out there today. I think yeah. the, uh, the imagine compilation no, uh, no, no, is, no, no, no. <laughs> is the, the, the gold standard up. for cringe uh, celeb uh, statements uh, uh, for this kind of stuff. I just rewatched that the other night. It was it was just as awful as I remembered it. So so Gazelle is somewhere between that and looking the other way on the issues. So I guess I respect that. Um, and then she she does a little arena show. Uh, for the end yeah. credits of Zootopia. It looks pretty good. Like it's very entertaining. Um, the, the animation sequence, uh, very cool kind of camera movements. there. very colorful, lots of lights, some water effects. Yeah. I think they're tiger, uh, backup dancers yep. that are, uh, just killing it. It's a, it's a concert in the round. It's arena style, which is like pretty rare, Totally. but it makes it makes for a really, really entertaining show. I've been on record before saying that I really like the song uh, Try Everything, really like Shakira. I think Zootopia is a pretty underrated movie. Um, she's going up against Four Town, which I don't like Four Town, I think, as much as most people like Four Town. Yeah. Um, I don't hate Four Town. Hmm. I just don't think that I think the joke is as funny as everyone else does um all of that being said though i i think it's it's like a teen beach movie thing where at least the the depiction of the musical act is somewhat refreshing uh where you have acts like protozoa um and acts like uh ernesto de la cruz where they're these big stars but they're not really poked fun at um right and the movie is not really acknowledging the absurdity of their fame and of their success um, and of their commercial appeal. And, and uh, Turning Red does do that with Four Town, uh, which I like, and I think that's important. So I'm going to go ahead and advance it's Four Town uh, by default. Uh, I hate to send Shakira home, but I think I think Four Town's a tough matchup for her. It, yeah, Four Town's moving on for me as well, and I think that as much as the film pokes fun at four town i think that it more so pokes fun at the the fandom around these type of acts more so than like four town themselves because if you think about who four town is as a group you can see that kind of extraness boy bandiness that's not necessarily too far from the truth if you just look far enough back to something like One Direction, some dude named Harry was in it. And <laughs> they they also had this kind of appeal where they were playing these individualist parts that made up a band and everyone kind of fed into it. It's the reiteration of like an NSYNC, a Backstreet Boys, who is really what Four Town is supposed to be like since this yeah. film is supposed to take place in 2001. So. I think that Four Town is great. Love their music. Love it all. I'm going to advance them as well, obviously. Raymond, that is it. That is our first round. Uh, do you have any thoughts about Gazelle going down, uh, about where we ended up here at the end? It makes me sad, but yeah, no, Four Town d- easily wins that. Um, I'm not as big as a fan as a lot of people. I know people that are like streaming the Four Town songs, like still like to this day, you know? Um, yeah, well, let's not, let's not <laughs> put them down, huh? No, definitely not putting them down. 
<laughs> it's good music. Um, I will say that they they reflect what the Directioners looked like back in the day, but the band itself looks like a band right now called Pretty Much. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. No. They're super, super like yeah. all mixed and like wonderful looking, like very, very attractive huh. people. And so I kind of like that vibe. I like that it was like diversifying the Backstreet Boys, diversifying NSYNC. Right. And the music is good. Like you cannot deny it slaps. Yeah. I mean, Ford Town fans are just Billie Eilish fans in disguise. It's really Ooh, what it comes down it to. It's really what it comes down to. All right. We've made it through the first round. We're going to be talking about the Elite Eight all the way to the champion next time. But here's what that Elite Eight looks like. It's the number one Hannah Montana versus the number nine Cheetah Girls. Number 13, Pink Slip versus number 12, Lemonade Mouth. Number two, Scat Cat and the Alley Cats versus number seven, the Dorothea Williams Quartet. And rounding out that Elite Eight, it's the number three, Powerline versus the number six, Four Town. A lot of low seeds this time around. I really like that. A lot of great matchups. Raymond, I think you're going to be doing a lot of work next time. But thanks for hanging with us this time, providing your insight. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to having you back next time. Yep. A pleasure, my friends. All right, everyone, you know how to reach us. If you got something to say about these on-screen Disney musical acts, do you have a song that you think is an absolute banger you want to shout out? Did we forget a musical act on here? We would love to hear from you. Send us an email at mousematterspodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All those channels are linked in the description of this podcast. Or if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash mousemadness where you can become a member of Jerry's gang. Join us at the $5 level where you'll have access to things like two bonus Mouse Madness episodes a month and uh, access to our seasonal Disney trivia, which just wrapped up last night. It was super fun. Uh, Shout out to our winner. Uh, (laughs) You you crushed it, uh, whoever you were. Uh, Enjoy your prize. Prize is trivia winner maybe um (laughs) and uh we'd love to have you all there it's a super fun time anyways folks before we sign off i just want to shout out the fact that the cat's the only cat who knows where it's at